0: Season one of Fucking Rad Snowboarding Podcast is brought to you by the love of the sport. This is episode four. I met Tom Burt in the winter of '94 on the way to a Trans World Industry Conference. We chatted briefly in the airport as we waited for a shuttle to Big Sky, Montana. Later that weekend, I would introduce him to my sponsor, Ice Age Snowboards from Hawaii. And a few months later, I got the news that he was riding for Ice Age. He was much higher up the ranks than I was, to say the least. That next summer at the Ice Age cabin on the Zigzag River down at Mount Hood, Tom had a bedroom to himself while my best friend Chris and I slept in the living room on a big chair and a little couch. I remember Kevin Jones, who was riding for Lamar at the time, slept out beside the woodshed under the stars. We all rode together, and it was some of the best times I can remember. This is an interview with Tom from a couple of weeks back. I got a hold of him at his house down in California.
1: The first board I read was this plastic Sims that he with a skate deck on top of it, and I borrowed it from Eric Arm and went up Mount Rose and hiked. So that was the first board I wrote I used that board and another board, this wooden board that Eric had made for kind of the first year, and then I bought um, a Sims, it's basically a fifteen hundred. But it was before they had FEs or anything like that. It was just a 1500. It's a gold top board. There was only a few of them made, I think, that this guy KJ had, and then he had sold it to Bob Klein, and I bought it from Bob Klein. I still have it. I don't know. I have like 35 on my ceiling and and, in my living room, and then I have some more. I don't know, 15 or 20 boards. Well, I was going to college all the way to the, into 86. You know, trying to be, I mean, I basically became a professional snowboarder in 85. So I was trying to do both, but it wasn't working. So I basically tried to be a, a full-time snowboarder in the 87, 88 season. Yeah, so I, I rode, you know, Avalanche through, I don't know, 91 or something. We did mountaineering in 89 in Alaska, um gnali in 91. Mexico in, 80, uh, I don't know, maybe 90 or 89 or 90. Went to Europe, for, you know, did Chamonix for the first time in 91. Spent a month there doing descents. You know, I grew up skiing. Kind of big mountain skiing was what we learned, you know, when I was a kid. The kind of 70s freestyle movement in skiing had just happened. And when I grew up, you didn't want to be that. You know, that's when they did ballet, moguls, and then aerials. I mean, we liked the aerial, you know, stuff, but it was a little too structured. And we, so, we, you know, we did a lot of jumping and stuff. But we were, you know, we skied on long skis and GS everything. I never skied moguls. I still can't ski them. I can snowboard them, but I can't ski them. And then we hiked a lot as kids with our skis. Um, and then uh, I did a lot of rock climbing. So when we started snowboarding, a lot of resorts weren't allowing snowboarding. Backcountry became important to us. Jim and I just made a list of um, places we wanted to go, mountains we wanted to go to, and just tried to go do that. Sponsorship was pretty uh, minimal, but we sold the trips to, you know, magazines. Uh, at that time, you have to remember, you had three magazines basically. You know, I mean, International Snowboard Magazine started in 85, but, you know, Transworld and Snowboard didn't start until 89. But when they started, they needed content. And so it was an easy sell for us to sell a story to a magazine on a trip that we were going to go do, wanted to go do. And so it became a, a venue for us because, you know, we weren't training to win contests. We didn't really care about that. Well, if you, look at, if you look at the first snowboarder magazine, or, you know, Transworld and all those early days, that's why Avalanche was so prevalent. You couldn't buy one because they didn't really need to produce any. But Avalanche was a huge name <laughs> at that point because we, mar- we figured out the marketing thing with the magazines, and how to do it without running basically ads or spending any money. (laughs) So we were the first to kind of do that, like set up the trips and do that. And so we kind of paved our own way, and then we'd use the magazine's letters that said they're going to publish it to help us, you know, send letters to wherever we were going to try to get help with lodging or get help with lift tickets or whatever, you know. It allowed us to sell the trips. That was pretty much how we pulled it off. Um, I went from Avalanche to Kemper, yeah, and then, I, then Kemper to Ice Age. Marketing changed because, you know, magazines were one thing, but then video started basically in um, 90 91. You know, there was in-industry videos, like Sims made a video, you know, like a Sims team video, and, you know, Burton made a Burton team, but the first videos were, you know, the Totally Bored and Fall Line film movies. But, yeah, you know, I was in Fall Line's movies, um, well, original Totally Bored, they only made one. And then Fall Line made about three movies or two or three movies before Totally Board 2 or TV 2 was put out. And I worked with Fall Line. But so the video thing changed being known just out of the magazines to being known more widely in the industry, skiers, snowboarders, you know, because they started watching what we were doing. Uh, I was in quite a few movies at that time. You know, I mean, the Totally Bored series, Creatures of Habit series, the North Face series. There was a lot of lot of different filming going on, you know, but we also did the trips usually with, um, you know, a motion photographer and a still photographer, so we were hitting both sides, you know, he double dipped on. I mean, they still do that today. I mean, for the most part, I, you know, I snowboarded with Jim, but, like, I, when I went into filming, if they're filming, then, you know, Jim didn't go into filming, Yeah, you know, I mean, he did something a little bit, but not a lot. There's a lot, lot, of, lot of mountaineering trips that basically most people know nothing about that we did. I mean, there was you know, a lot of times articles in the magazines, but no one ever saw any footage. You know, we pretty much, if you look at, you know, further, deeper, higher by Jeremy, we did that exact same circuit. That was kind of like our bucket list of going around and doing trips and and, you know, snowboarding. And we pretty much did it with very few people knowing that we did all of that. But but back then, you know, like to, to film it was uh, a whole nother thing because, you know, it had to be shot. It would have been shot in film and someone carrying film cameras and out mountaineering is not easy you know, carrying a, a video camera, you know, so much easier and then cams and all the small, you know, small technology these days really makes it doable to make a film like the films like they've made. It still takes a lot of work with the filmers, but it's basically almost logistically impossible to film with film. Unless you unless you unless you have lots of money. You know, we had no, you know, money, but like our, you know, our first trip to Alaska was a month trip on a glacier, you know, hiking and blew in with the plane. And, you know, if you look at it deeper, we did that in our first year, you know, you know, it's just a different, different time frame. And, you know, we didn't make any money on snowboarding. If there was any money for us. That's just the reality of it. Said, oh, I'm going to be a pro snowboarder. I'm not going to teach. You know, they flipped out, you know, like, what, what are you, what, what are you talking about? Why would you ever do that? You know, but, then, um, at that time, the g Street commercial came out there in 87, and so that was the first actual money that I ever kind of made on snowboarding was the g Street commercial, so they saw all those checks come in. Yeah, I mean, I snowboard from November till usually June. Well, I've been, you know, I've been judging the Freeride World Tour, and I started doing the North Face Masters Tour, and then now I'm doing the so go to Europe a couple times, Alaska. it uh, keeps me going. You know, and I usually do Baker. And, you know, once in a while something else comes up. You know, last year we did Point Break 2. Or, well, not 2, but Point Break, the remake. I think you get projects like that sometimes and things. Um, I was doing stunt coordination uh, with snowboard teams. My board's designed how I, how I want it. <laughs> I just chose the best board that they had at the time. Or, you know, that worked for me and my style of writing. I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, I basically build a board that works for my style of riding. I don't want to do a bunch of turns down the phase. I like design a board for making a long turn that will hold together when you're going fast and making a turn like that. So that's, well, there's a lot of perception out there of what's, what's great to ride and what's not. And there's lots of different options. I am a pretty good study of people and watching people ride. And I see most of the time a lot of problems that people have is that their board fails when they're trying to do things. It's not necessarily their abilities, but the board board isn't designed for what they're trying to do on it, and so you see a lot of failure in that direction. You know, taper and snowboards became a big thing. I don't know; it might have been like eight years ago, or but shit, I've been riding tapered boards since, early. <laughs> since the eighties. Uh, you know, so I've always ridden the tapered board. <laughs> you know, and it's the same thing. It's like rocker. You know, I mean, everyone's like, "Oh, rocker." You know, it's like, "Oh, well, shit." You know the swallowtail, the Winter swallowtail is full rock. You know full record up front board. It's only been that way since like you know seventy two or some shit. I mean, I, I started you know judge, the first judging of a of a you know like a mountain riding contest was the World Extremes in ninety two in Alaska. I judged the extremes for two years, so ninety two and ninety three, and then the extremes went away. And then the King of the Hill started, but that, you know I wasn't I wasn't involved with any of that. And then that pretty much faded away. The European contest they were calling themselves the Freeride World Tour, and then over here in the U.S. the North Face Masters had started a tour, and I I got asked to judge that, so I was judging the North Face Masters, so I became the head judge for that. And at the same time, you know, I also judged Travis's contest, so I started his first one in Jackson. Jackson Hole, I, I judged that one, and then I judged the, ultra, the supernatural and ultra natural, the North Face Masters, and the Freeride World Tour became one tour, uh, i.e., the true Freeride World Tour or the World Tour, and so um, I started judging that. So I've been a head judge for the uh, Freeride World Tour. The progression of mountain riding, which has gone from steep riding of lines, which, you know, when I was doing it was trying to figure out what was possible to go down, you know, since then there's still that side, which has been kind of like, you know, like Jeremy and, the, you know, crew, kind of what's possible. And then there's the Travis side, Gigi and Nicholas, and, you know, so they've been taking the freestyle, which, you know, on kind of, Olson back in the day, you kind of brought that in really bringing the freestyle into mountain riding. I and mean, Craig was pretty good at it too, Kelly, but they, they brought in more of that, like in using, using the mountain in different than just doing a line. They were doing things within within a line, and so that kind of changed the dynamics, almost like surfing, where you have from trestle to pipe. One place you're pulling in, another place you're teeing off. So th- so the biggest change, though, like I say, is that the, the riders are going have to be more well-rounded. To, to do well overall, well, yeah well I mean you know now you have to qualify and you know like it, 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 you have to show your skills you know back then it was not as much because there wasn't as many people doing it, so to have a contest, you know it, it was and people had skills, they're good writers, and it wasn't you know, but you know you have to you have to think that it, those guys were definitely you know calculating what they were doing, um you know, they didn't come out. Maimed or broken, you know. <laughs> Very rarely, you know. So, so you know what people thought was beyond the edge at that time. Now has changed. You know, the edge has changed uh, a lot further. People are like you can't do too much further, you know. Or you, if, you, if you step off, you're going to be stepping, you know. And so, so that's the that's the thing is that that people find that edge and keep going to that edge, I and mean, that's just the reality of it. Um, progression happens, and, and someone's got to be out there where people are going. Oh, that guy's nuts, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. So, so, and you know that that always continues today. Um, and then the standard the standard changes, and uh, then that isn't so nuts. It's this other person uh, that that's nuts. I have no complaints. I've got to do tons and tons and tons of snowboarding, and uh, which I love to do. So it's allowed me to have a great lifestyle and own a home and do things like that. I could have pursued making money more. It's one of those things like when you do that you're also giving up a lot of your freedom because all of a sudden you do you're you're doing things for your sponsor. It's always really a funny thing, you know, same thing, you know sponsorship is a job, it's marketability and the whole thing. It's a crazy world. <laughs> and if you think of you know like rank with farmer they were selling a personality on top of their skills. And Palmer too, you know. It's like they're very smart people. Playing a derelict is a very good way of getting attention. You know, and being an ass, being you know, I mean that's one way, one really good way of getting attention, and it works really well. As they played that card, freaking phenomenally. It's awesome, you know. I mean, we just giggled and laughed because we knew them on a you know personal level. <laughs> I never had an issue with any of those guys, you know, as far as because they respected who, what we did and what we, you know. But if they didn't have respect for you, then then it was uh, you're on the wrong side of the table. Because then they're just gonna fuck with you. <laughs> it was a funny thing, you know. But that was their M.O. or the persona or the acting, you know, that they were putting out there. <laughs> that they were derelicts, so and they didn't care whether really they were they were acting. And for the most part, you know, I mean, they did some stupid shit. You know, I mean, all the early days was a lot of it was politics. I mean, it was a different, it was a totally different thing because you were hated by the snow industry for the most part because they were something new and different and they didn't get it, you know. Like we had our own political agenda to get it allowed at places and accepted and to show that, you know, it was possible to do everything on a mountain. Like we were true rebels or pioneering rebels who were like, okay, you're going to tell us that we can't do it. Well, we're going to show you that we can. Yeah, it goes, you know. But the thing is, you know, it's the same. it's the same thing. The kids today... Are doing the same thing that my generation did. They don't want to be their parents. Like when I started, snowboarding was not cool. Okay, <laughs> you know, it was just a new thing, and like you know, and it wasn't cool. But then it became a cool thing, and and now you know it's not so cool. Like the, the kid to snowboard as a kid, it's much more cool to ski. Um, but I had lots of fun because uh, you know at that time skiers had attitude. They well, that's fine. You know, I I don't mind that you make a choice against snowboarding, but let's do one run of your choice and then run one of them my choice and then you can tell me what you think about snowboarding after that.
0: <laughs> so I have to ask, did you ride a bunch with Craig Kelly?
1: We hung out whenever we were around each other, you know. I mean, he lived in Washington, and I lived here, but we did trips together and we, you know, like he came to judge. He judged the first extremes also in Alaska and things like that, you know, but first time I ever went to Baker, we, you know, we snowboarded the, the whole Baker crew, you know, that's all we did. And then when they came here for, like, the world championships, and we hung out with them and rode with them. I mean, and then when Craig switched to going backcountry stuff, and we started doing some backcountry split boarding trips and things like that together.
0: Thanks for taking the time to talk to us, Tom.
1: Hi, right, Eric. Hi, right, Eric.
0: So iTunes rejected our podcast, and it's probably because we haven't followed the proper copyright procedures with our music. Uh, So today's episode has no music except Mike LeBlanc and Russ Winfield behind me in the credits and at the beginning. I've got a few ideas on how to fix the problem, and the most obvious is to get music that we have rights to. So today's call-out is for original music. If you have some music we can use, message us through Facebook and chances are your band will be scoring some of our future episodes. Thanks to Tom Burt for talking with us. Fucking rad shoutouts to Mike Patello, Mike Madlener, and Mike Paz, the Hawaiians who brought us Ice Age snowboards back in the day. And huge thanks to all our listeners. We hope you're getting the quality snow that's falling here in the Pacific Northwest. Come back next week for another fucking rad snowboarding episode.